0: Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays, on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866 609 All right, good to be back after taking a day off for Thanksgiving, a day to be thankful for all our many blessings here. This is episode number uh, 33 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Black Friday, Friday, November 26th. And I got to tell you, we are so thankful. We are so thankful to be here. We are so thankful that uh, you guys keep supporting us. Absolutely, uh, and, and I, I want to mention something uh, very briefly here. <laughs> Sorry, we got a late, late start today. Late start today, but this is a very different kind of talk show. Very different kind of talk show. Uh, we are different in that, of course, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. Who talks about that? Who dares to say that these days? No, my old employer, pardon me, wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So, yes, we're a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. And I want to start today's show, before I get to the news, saying thank you very much to one of our advertisers who makes it possible for us to do this, redriveryourway.com. If you've tried to buy a car recently, realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, SUV, the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way. If you have any questions, Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has an Explore Payment Options button. Clicking that guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, now, there's a lot going on here. I hope you're sitting down. Well, if you're listening live, you're <laughs> you're probably uh, in the vehicle, maybe uh, waiting for your better half to get out of, uh, get out of a store. But um, this may shock you. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases since the mid-'80s, is still lying about the origins of the China virus, the Wu flu, if you will. So this morning, Margaret Brennan, CBS News' Face the Nation, has a clip from the longer interview they plan to air this Sunday. And here's what happened.
1: I'm Margaret Brennan. For our broadcast Sunday, we talked with Dr. Anthony Fauci about the origins of COVID and what lessons we've learned during this pandemic. Was that happening at all in China when this first appeared going back to the fall of 2019?
2: You know, it was very tough with what's going on in China. You know, they, 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 it's, it's kind of opaque. Uh, clearly, there was infection that was percolating you know, as early as November, maybe even earlier. Um, And then it was the same sort of thing. You know, back then, you had an infection that emerged uh, almost certainly out of uh, um, animal reservoir to, uh, I mean, the bats there all have viruses that when you, the the more you study bats there, the more you see how close some of the viruses are to SARS-CoV-2.
0: Yeah, but the bats hundreds of miles away from Wuhan. He don't want you to know that. And she's not going to ask about it. So it was assumed in the beginning, well, this is
2: the coronavirus. We've just sequenced it in January 10th. We know what
0: the sequence is. They didn't assume anything. He was funding gain-of-function research in that Wuhan Institute of Virology. He's not going to mention it, of course. She's not going to ask him about it. More cover-up.
2: Why isn't it just assumed that it's SARS-CoV-1, which means it doesn't transmit very well, and it's going to get controlled by public health measures, which is exactly what happened with SARS-CoV-1?
0: Well, it's not assumed because you funded gain-of-function research. You know, the research to make it so that it would transfer much more easily. This guy's 80. He must be an atheist. He doesn't believe he's going to meet his maker and have to give account for what he's done on this earth. Mm -hmm. Then you find out
2: that even though it's SARS-CoV-2, it is a very, very different virus than SARS-CoV-1. Oh,
0: you found out about it, huh?
2: You funded the research to make it that way. Because A, it is transmitted spectacularly efficiently from person to person. And B, most of it is 40 to 50 to 60% is asymptomatic.
0: I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to tell somebody they have a deadly disease, but there are no symptoms, well, you better wear a mask because you might give it to somebody else, even though you don't really have it. There would never be a reason to stop wearing masks. Right? Right?
1: Why is it so efficient? I've heard so many virologists point to that, that it was uniquely adapted to be just horrible in a human body. How did it get that efficient? Well,
0: she doesn't pay attention. Anybody who pays attention would know, because this guy you're talking to, Anthony Fauci, funded research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology to make it efficient. She has no idea. No idea. It's like all these libs out there still saying that Kyle Rittenhouse illegally bought a, uh, brought a gun across state lines. Well, if you watch the trial, you know that's not true. But they're in an echo chamber. Here's more. It evolves in animals. It evolves in humans. And
2: it could just, you know, sometimes viruses jump into humans and they take off and run right away.
1: But we don't know what went between the bat and the human. There was something in between.
2: Yeah, it was very likely a a host. what, What the Chinese did.
0: We know what happened. We know what happened. He lied under oath to Senator Rand Paul, Dr. Rand Paul. But she doesn't have to know this because she makes a lot of money and she relies on her staff, and they're lazy. I don't have first-hand knowledge of that, but the
2: people who were reporting it, who investigated,
0: what they—you got first-hand knowledge. You funded it. You lying. Bl-
2: <coughs> I censored myself. They did as they cleaned out the markets as soon as it turned out that it was clear that there were clusters coming from the market.
0: Nothing came from the market. It went into the market. It didn't come from the market. And she's going to sit there and just let him lie. Which, you know, in typical fashion, I think,
2: trying to make sure that things don't get pointed to them, they probably got rid of the animals that were the intermediary hosts there. And that's the reason why it's very important to continue to get the cooperation of the Chinese in allowing surveillance of the animals that ultimately go into the wet markets, the civet cats, the raccoon dogs, and all those other things, that clearly, this virus is a very promiscuous virus in the sense that it can infect animals, animals can infect humans. But it,
1: Beijing acknowledges now that they don't think it originated in that market.
0: Ding, 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 ding. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A random act of journalism... Let's
2: back that up. Animals, animals can infect humans.
1: But it, Beijing acknowledges now that they don't think it originated in that market.
0: What is he gonna do? What is he gonna do? He's not. He's not expecting actual journalism from this person at CBS. Well, it may not have originated
2: in the market.
0: No. You know it didn't. May not. You know it didn't. You know where it came from. Um, but it certainly could have. I mean, I, I don't No. No, it certainly couldn't have. It originated from the Wuhan Institute of Virology that you were funding. And you lied under oath about it repeatedly. I don't think that they admitted that it didn't originate in the market. I
2: think they're saying they don't know how it originated.
0: No. No. Look, CBS reporter is not going to say they admit it didn't originate in the market if they didn't admit it didn't originate in the market. Yeah.
1: Well, there were clusters that may have been picked up and transmitted, as I understand it, through the market, but the the place of origin was not within
2: the market Uh, itself. No, I don't think you could say that. uh, I don't think you can say that. I think you could say we don't know how and where it originated.
0: In other words, she comes back to the fact that China said, okay, we admit it doesn't come from the market. He's like, oh, no, no, you can't say that it didn't. You can say we don't know. He's such a liar. He's such a liar. The guy would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. He's such a liar. Such a prevaricating liar.
2: There are wet markets in Wuhan that are ample opportunity for a virus to jump from an animal that gets brought in from all parts of China that are very closely related physically to bat enclaves and caves and come to the market. So I don't think
0: anyone can say that it didn't come from here or it did come from here. Okay, she keeps on telling you the Chinese government has admitted it did not come from the wet market. Oh, no, no, you can't say that. Uh, CBS, actually, trying to hold them accountable, but not doing a very good job of it because they're not really used to holding members of the regime accountable.
1: Dr. Anthony Fauci, coming up Sunday on Face the Nation.
0: But at what point, at what point are you going to go back to the grand tradition of somebody like Mike Wallace back in the day of 60 Minutes and say, well, you're lying. Clearly you're lying. You're not going to do that, are you? I mean, look, I'll give her credit for coming back to another bite to the apple, saying, yes, the Chinese government does say, does say that did not come from the wet market. Oh, no, 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 you can't say that. Well, we just did. But see, the problem is she's being deferential. She's being respectful to this guy with uh, so much blood on his hands. That's a problem. That's a problem. But see, some folk don't de- deserve respect. I'm sorry, I know that's upsetting. But some folk don't deserve respect. The other day, um, Peter Ducey from Fox News had a chance to talk to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. And Ms. Psaki seems to be intent on making sure that her boss, usurper Joe Biden, see, I don't ever put president in front of his name. He's the usurper. She wants to make sure that her boss, usurper Joe Biden, gets sued for millions of dollars Kyle Rittenhouse. It went something like this. Would the president ever apologize to the acquitted Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse for suggesting online and on TV that he is a white supremacist?
3: Well, let's be clear what we're talking about here. This is about a campaign video released last year that used President Trump's own words during a debate as he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And President Trump, as we know from history,
0: for yeah, that matter, uh, Trump ought to the sewer. You he refuse to condemn white supremacists. What, a, what? an idiot!
3: And as many of you covered, didn't just refuse to condemn militia groups on the debate stage. He actively encouraged them throughout his presidency. So, uh, you know what we've seen are the tragic consequences of that.
0: When people, you noticed, you noticed she is uh, lumping in militia groups with white supremacy as if you can't have one without the other. Just just want to make sure you, you realize what she's doing here. You probably do.
3: I think it's okay to take the law into their own hands instead of allowing law enforcement to do its job. And the president <coughs> believes in condemning hatred, division, and violence.
0: Wait, wait. So is she implying that Kyle Rittenhouse took the law into his own hands? Is that what's going on here? You're not taking the law into your own hands by preventing someone from murdering you. Just just so you know, For those of you scoring at home,
3: that's exactly what was done in that video.
0: But if uh, you're saying that it was just a campaign video, it wasn't. The president also gave an interview where he said this uh, Rittenhouse was part of a militia coming out of Illinois. Have you ever heard this president referring to Trump say one negative thing about white supremacists? These are all things. uh, None of this was proven in the trial. And Kyle Rittenhouse is saying that the president had actual malice in defaming his character. Is that what happened here? The
3: the president spoke to the verdict uh, last. Last week, uh, he has obviously condemned uh, the hatred and division and violence we've seen around the country by groups like the Proud Boys uh, and groups that uh, that individual has posed in photos with.
0: Um, so Kyle Rittenhouse said that his lawyer set him up to get him to pose in a bar, 17-year-old kid. was the people you know who they were. But you know who the usurper, I'm not going to call him the president, you know who the usurper has not, has not condemned? He's not condemned the racist who mowed down all those people in Waxhaw, Wisconsin. Not a word, y'all. Not one word from the White House. Not one word from the usurper-in-chief. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because they have a narrative that the United States is a fundamentally racist country and the fact that a Black Lives Matter supporter mowed down a bunch of white people on purpose. That disturbs the narrative, doesn't it? You betcha it does. You betcha it does. So after the uh, guilty verdict, three counts of murder, the other day we covered it live, and... The shooting death of Ahmed Arbery, his dad, is speaking to the media. Mr. Arbery speaking to the media and talking about destroying narratives. His father said, All lives matter. And if if you've seen the video, you notice that attorney Benjamin Crump on one side of him and the race baiter Al Sharpton on the other side of him are trying to kind of both pat him on the shoulder like, okay, that's enough, man, that's enough. Don't ruin this for us. When he starts saying all lives matter, and people need to be treated equally, they get to be visibly uncomfortable. God bless this grieving father. Here he is. For
4: real, all life matters. All life. Not just black children. We don't want Come to see on, nobody mom. go through this. Nobody. I don't want to see no daddy watch a kid get lanced and shot down like that. That's right, Ma. So it's all our problem. It's
2: all our problem. So, hey, let's keep
4: fighting. Let's keep, fighting. Let's keep doing it and making this place a better place for all human beings. Amen. Right, all Come human on, beings. Yeah. Amen. Love everybody. I'm Amen. About... Love everybody. Love everybody. Love everybody. We've been a conquer this Today is a good
0: day. All right. So what you see on social media, you see a lot of liberal folk upset because they thought conservatives are going to be upset that... three white men were found guilty of the murder of a black man in Brunswick, Georgia. They can't wrap their mind around it. You know what I'm saying? They try to project their racism onto the rest of us, and it doesn't work. It's futile. It's futile. Oh... Somebody, uh, somebody commented on the uh, on the Podbean app. See, most people are listening to this after the fact, after they uh, after the live stream is over. Listen to the podcast, either downloading or just hit, clicking, hitting a listen or something like that. But some some people actually listen to us live on the Podbean app. One person said about the interview with Margaret Brennan. CBS Face the Nation, and Dr. Fauci. What makes you think that this interview is not some kind of control oppositional tactic? I apologize if in any way I gave you the impression that I did not think the interview with Fauci on CBS Face the Nation was not some kind of control uh, oppositional tactic. (laughs) Okay. All right. I, I I think I addressed that one. Again, as the great Jim Treacher says over at Substack, Daryl Brooks Jr. killed more people than Kyle Rittenhouse did. There's no conceivable case for self-defense, and he's already old news. I wonder why that is. He ran over children and dancing grannies. Crickets. 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 The mainstream media is saying an SUV ran over some people, not the guy driving the SUV. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? Crickets. I guess because a lot of folk in the mainstream media disagree with Mr. Arbery. He killed white people. and Their lives don't matter. I guess that's us up. It's a shame. It's a shame. So, that having been said, I go back to one of the questions I ask on a regular basis. Why do hospitals try to kill people? They know ivermectin works, and yet they won't let you use it. Top ICU doctor suspended after suing hospital for banning life-saving COVID treatments. In an exclusive interview with the defender, childrenshealthdefense.org, Dr. Paul Merrick said patients are dying unnecessarily and unlawfully because the hospital where he's director of the ICU prioritizes expensive drugs like remdesivir while banning more effective and less costly treatments. So people should be going to jail for that. You know what I'm saying? People should be going to jail for this. A top critical care physician who filed a lawsuit against Centera Norfolk General Hospital over its ban on administering life-saving drugs to treat COVID patients, Norfolk, Virginia, has had his hospital privileges suspended. Dr. Paul Merrick, chief of pulmonary and critical care medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School, and director of the ICU at Sentara Norfolk General Hospital. Learned about the 14-day suspension when he arrived to work on Saturday and found a letter on his desk. The letter was dated November 18th, the same day Merrick appeared before a judge in Norfolk Circuit Court requesting a temporary injunction to lift the ban. Judge David Linetti did not grant the temporary injunction but did determine that Dr. Merrick had standing to bring his lawsuit, allowing the case to move forward, which will give Dr. Merrick the opportunity to establish his right to administer life-saving treatments that patients have been prohibited access to by Senterra. That's a statement from the folks over at the frontline COVID-19 critical care alliance. Sentara's attorneys didn't tell Dr. Merrick about the suspension during Thursday's hearing, nor did they mention to the judge, according to Merrick's attorney, Fred Taylor, a partner of the Virginia law firm Bush & Taylor. In a November 22nd letter to the judge, Dr. Merrick's attorney accused Sentara Norfolk General of making a material misrepresentation during the hearing by failing to disclose the letter and telling the court the hospital would not retaliate against Dr. Merrick for filing the lawsuit. Merrick's attorney told the judge, Evidently, Sintera chose, for reasons of its own, not to disclose this suspension either to the court or the plaintiff during the hearing. In his letter, Taylor told the judge, The letter from Sentara to Dr. Merrick gives no explanation whatsoever for the coincidence of Sentara's choosing to suspend Dr. Merrick at this particular moment, leaving only one realistic conclusion. Sentara has engaged in a blatant act of retaliation against Dr. Merrick for filing the suit and for exposing to the public Sinterra's unlawful, unjustified denial of safe, potentially life-saving medicines to its COVID patients in violation of Virginia's statutory law and public policy. In sinterra's letter to Dr. Merrick, hospital officials summoned Merrick to a proceeding scheduled for December 2nd, during which the hospital said, no lawyer representing Dr. Merrick will be permitted, and no recording or video or transcript will be made. sinterra said his suspension of Dr. Merrick was based in part on the allegation that he informed COVID patients that his hands were tied and there was nothing he could do for them, or nothing more he could do for them. His lawyer, Taylor, in his letter to the judge, stated, at the just-concluded hearing, November eighteenth, 2021, Sintera. Expressly represented to this court that it would not discipline Dr. Merrick in any way for informing his COVID patients that Centerra was preventing him from giving them alternative treatments that are in his medical judgment and based on unrefuted evidence, safe and potentially life-saving and medically appropriate for them. Yet, Sintera has now done exactly that. Indeed, it had apparently already done exactly that when it was rep- mis- when it was representing to the court that it would not do so, intentional or not. This was a materially false representation made to the court and plaintiffs respectfully request that Sintera be held to account for it. During the hearing, November 18th, Sintera's attorney, Jason Davis, raised the issue of whether Dr. Merrick has standing in the case. To have standing in a lawsuit, Dr. Merrick needed to show he had a stake in its outcome or suffered an injury. Sintera said Dr. Merrick did not have standing to bring his case because he hadn't been harmed. Dr. Merrick told the defender, obviously patients who are dying in the ICU can't come to court. Sentara Hospital lied continuously and incessantly, but at this type of hearing, I was not in a position where I could challenge the falsities. Attorney Taylor accused Sentara of attempting to deprive Dr. Merrick of standing through a retaliatory pretextual suspension that Sentara kept secret from the court, perhaps hoping Dr. Merrick would respond to Sentara by offering to drop his lawsuit if Sentara would withdraw its suspension. In his letter to the judge, Dr. Merrick's legal team, called for a supplemental hearing to redress the new facts previously hidden from the court by Sentara. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Why are hospitals trying to kill people? Ivermectin works. Everybody knows it works. Why are hospitals trying to kill people? You know, I'll tell you something. December of last year, almost a year ago, there was a guy named Dr. Pierre Corey, and he testified before Senator Ron Johnson's subcommittee at the time, and um, this is the first I had heard of ivermectin, and I was flabbergasted. Dr. Pierre Corey, president and chief medical officer of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. Formerly medical director and trauma and life support center at University of Wisconsin Madison, this guy's got quite a pedigree. He said, Look, I Ivermectin works, it always works. He said, I just I just can't put up with not being allowed to use it and and see my patients die. You know, when when a doctor with quite an impressive resume is talking like that. It tends to get your attention unless you're paid off for it not to get your attention. So the question is, why are they trying to kill so many people? <clears throat> we hear about this new, uh, this new strain, this new uh, variant of the China virus down in South Africa. Oh, danger kiddos. South African physician Dr. Shankara Chetty, general practitioner with a natural science background in genetics, advanced biology, microbiology, and biochemistry. Talks about the bigger plan, what he calls a bigger plan over a bit shoot. It's eleven minutes long. Can't, I can't play the whole thing for you, but I got a quote. I got a quote. He says this plan is to make sure that we can control and kill off a large proportion of our population without anyone suspecting that we were poisoned. And so I think the justification for everything we see is warranted in understanding the, the end game. Look, if again, if they're gonna withhold If they're going to withhold vital, life-saving treatment from people and just watch them die, uh, I mean, that's murder, right? That's murder. And there's no excuse for it. And there's also no statute of limitations for it, just so you know. Just so you know, for those of you scoring at home. All right, now, that having been said, speaking of the cynicism of our government, the cynicism of our uh, healthcare system, I'm sure you, like me, remember when they jammed Obamacare down our throats, right? They said it's the Affordable Care Act, right? Has that Affordable Care Act made your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky high copays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to get a hold of my friend Art Wilborn. The website is myfamilyhealthplan.com. When you go to that website, myfamilyhealthplan.com, first thing you see affordable plans save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And the little tab says, schedule call now. Well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, and no co-pays. That's awesome, man. That's incredible. So here's what you do: you go to myfamilyhealthplan.com, you book a free consultation and Art Willborn will make sure there're no gaps in your coverage, but that's not the only thing he makes sure of. He makes sure you save a lot of money, but that's not the only thing he makes sure of. In your personalized health coverage, he makes sure that you don't wind up having to cover something like abortion that would violate your conscience. That would offend your deeply held religious beliefs. Save money on your insurance. 30 to 50 percent on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. save money on your insurance. at myfamilyhealthplan.com, you will be so glad that you did. All right? All right now i gotta, uh, I got to take a drink of water. this will be quick and painless. <laughs>
2: Thanks for listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Many of you have asked, how can we help support the show? Really easy. Go to docwashburnshow.com and click become a patron at the top right corner of the website or click the Podbean logo where it says, be my patron on Podbean. We sure do appreciate your support of the Doc
0: Washburn Show. Yes, we do. Yes, we certainly do. Just a reminder, the United Nations predicted disaster if global warming was not checked. Back in June of 1989, a senior UN environmental official said entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. Got it? Got it? Now, Also, remember Rob Reiner? His dad was Carl Reiner. Rob Reiner was Meathead and all in the family, which may have been before you were born. So uh, he goes out on Twitter a couple of days ago and says, an underage kid illegally takes an assault rifle across state lines kills two people, injures another, then is welcomed with open arms at Mar-a-Lago by the leader of the Republican Party, a mentally ill racist. This is where we are. God help us. I don't believe Rob Reiner actually believes in God, number one. Number two, clearly he wants to be sued. No, 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 not by lying about Trump, calling him a mentally ill racist. Apparently he can lie about public figures. The bar is really high of them being able to sue you for defamation. And that law needs to be looked into. You uh, apparently have to prove malice beyond a reasonable doubt, but um, Kyle Rittenhouse certainly isn't a public figure uh, by his own doing. The malicious prosecution of him. When it's clear, it's self-defense. If he's a public figure, that's the only reason. So Rob Reiner lies. An underage kid illegally takes an assault rifle across state lines. That's not true. He didn't take any kind of weapon across state lines. And it doesn't matter. What Rob Reiner believes, it's not true. It's not True, so I hope. Uh, I hope Kyle's attorneys are adding Rob Reiner to the list of people uh, that they sue. Because they should own this guy. They should own this guy. Wait, what? Dylan Hausman, healthcare reporter over at Daily Caller. As the article, scientists are dumbfounded that COVID nineteen barely exists in Africa. Really, I wonder why that is. It says COVID nineteen has faded into the background of daily life in Africa, and scientists are unable to figure out why. With a population of over one point three billion people, Africa is the world's second most populous continent trailing only asia and it's also the world's poorest continent but despite the gap in resources africa has much less access to vaccines in places like the americas and western europe the continent of africa has experienced the second lowest number of deaths from the virus of any of the world health organization's six designated regions really it says here Nearly 152,000 Africans have died of COVID-19 since the global pandemic began, according to the World Health Organization. The Western Pacific region has seen just 136,000 deaths, but otherwise Africa had the best pandemic outcome in the world. In the Americas, more than 2.3 million people have died from the virus, and in Europe, the number is nearly 1.5 million. Well, see, that's not true either. They've admitted that 94% of the people in the U.S., died with COVID, not necessarily from COVID. If you got an average of two and a half other comorbidities, they'll just chalk you up to COVID death, whether you had it or not. A lot of money in that now. A lot of money. A lot of money. Scientists acknowledge that sparse reporting systems and poor data collections play some part in the low numbers, according to the Associated Press. Oh, wow, well, we're going to take the Associated Press as, a, as some kind of a An expert here. Oh, yeah, yeah, they wouldn't lie. But the astronomical gap between Africa and the rest of the world is too substantial to simply chalk up to poor record-keeping, according to scientists that the AP talked to. Devi Sridhar, chairman of global public health at the University of Edinburgh, told the AP, I think there's a different cultural approach in Africa, where these countries have approached COVID with a sense of humility because they've experienced things like Ebola, polio, and malaria. Oh, okay. So the virus actually respects a sense of humility. Who knew? (laughs) Christian Hoppe, director of the African Center of Excellence for Genomics of Infectious Diseases at Redeemers University in Nigeria, says... It's not always about how much money you have or how sophisticated your hospitals are. Oh, okay, all right. Daily Caller says one factor may be age. Median age in Africa is around 18 years old. About half that of North America and 24 years younger than Europe. In the United States, the median age is around 38, and COVID-19 is far more threatening to older populations in younger ones. Obesity, uh, another significant risk factor, is also less prominent on the continent of Africa than elsewhere. Africa and Southeast Asia are the least obese regions in the world. What's most stunning to medical experts is that Africa is doing this with limited access to vaccines. Less than 6% of the population of Africa is vaccinated, according to the AP. Whoa! So what do you think about that? What do you think about the fact that we've got more COVID deaths in the U.S. this year already than all of last year? What uh, What do you think about that? Somebody here says, uh, I believe COVID-19 is created by the U.S. government blamed on China. Well... Looks like it was a collaboration. Fauci lied over and over and over and over and over again under oath about the fact that his organization funded gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Kept on lying about it, right? So you got that. And he's still lying about it. He'll be lying about it on CBS Face the Nation this Sunday morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So did you hear um, U.S. Congresswoman uh, Lauren Boebert got into a little bit of trouble over the weekend where the joke she told about Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar, U.S. Representative, uh, Democrat, Somalia. I'm sorry, did I say Somalia? I guess that should have been Minnesota. The Somalian district of Minnesota. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here's what Ilhan Omar said. Not Ilhan Omar. What, Lauren Boebert, Colorado, said about Ilhan Omar over the weekend that has the liberals all in a tizzy.
4: The other night on the House floor was not my first Jihad Squad moment. Uh, So... I was getting into an elevator with one of my staffers, and he and I, are, we're leaving the Capitol, we're going back to my office, and we get in the elevator, and I see a Capitol Police officer running hurriedly to the elevator. I see fret all over his face, and he's reaching, and I'm like, I can't, the door's shutting. Like, I can't, I can't open it, like, what's happening? I looked to my left, and there she is, Um, Ilhan Omar. And I said, "Well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine." (laughs) 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 So we only had one floor to go, and I was like, "Ah, "Do I say it or not?" I looked over, and I said, "Oh look, the Jihad Squad decided to show up for work today."
0: (laughs) (laughs) So. Jake Tapper, CNN, formerly with ABC, formerly an official spokesman for Hooters. Yeah, that that Hooters, yeah. Jake Tapper responded to this saying, this is pure anti-Muslim bigotry and as such is completely contrary to what the USA is supposed to stand for. That this is tolerated in American politics and the House GOP is an indictment against anyone who is silent about it? So Jeff Carlson over the market's work, Jeff Carlson of the Epic Times, says Jake Tapper helped to establish the fraudulent Trump-Russia collusion narrative. Jake Tapper was a conduit of intel community disinformation. Jake Tapper was part of DNC and media attempts to overturn an election, the one of 2016. Jake Tapper promoted the ridiculous intelligence community assessment, lying about Trump and Russia. And Jake Tapper attacked Rittenhouse unjustly, and he's apologized for none of it. None of it. Jim Treacher... Responded, Jake Tapper saying, your network has spent months calling a white kid racist for shooting three white men who were attacking him. Shut the... (laughs) Up. Now, in case you're thinking that that was not nice, what Lauren Bobert said about Ilhan Omar and referring to as part of the Jihad squad. In case you're thinking that was inappropriate, in case your feelings are hurt and you want Lauren Bobert to apologize, let me remind you what Ilhan Omar said a while back when she was speaking to a meeting of the Council on American-Islamic Relations about why the Council on American-Islamic Relations, otherwise known as CARE, was created in the first place.
5: CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties.
0: None of that's true, except for some people did something. Care was founded in 1993, eight years before 9/11. Some people did something. That's your way of describing the mass murder of 3,000 Americans on 9/11. She said we were losing our civil liberties. That's not true either. That's not true either. And she knew it wasn't true. She knew it wasn't true. And yet, and they knew it wasn't true. They knew it wasn't true. They knew their organization was not founded after 9-11. They knew they weren't losing their civil liberties. But see, here's the thing. When there's some kind of jihad attack, immediately, 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 all these Muslim organizations start publicly worrying about backlash, about backlash ilhan omar she mocked americans for being concerned about al-qaeda she laughed about 9-11 did you know this did you realize this oh yeah she certainly did all right let's let's check this out let's check this out
5: i remember um when i was in college i took uh, a terrorism class and is that a such thing yeah there was so there you go was,
6: out, there is a lab for
5: that there was a, there was a class that you
0: do you go to the lab eh? no <laughs> go we, out we a field he, trip he and, learned uh, the, the ideology
5: of i'm glad
0: um, you do that <laughs>
5: And so it was, it was the, the thing that was interesting in the class was every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders went up and, you know, yeah, he he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you know, hospital. He's an expert. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> and it was you know, as What's his
0: it. We're not, we, we what are does not he saying his name. Uh, yeah,
5: <laughs> you probably get to see him on, on CNN. Uh, yeah, of know.
0: course. I love those guys, but,
5: you know, but 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 it is it is that you don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England yeah. with yeah. an intensity. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Carter, <laughs> but you say these these names because you you want that that word to carry weight.
0: Recently discovered video this is a couple of years ago, shows Ilhan Omar mocking Americans for their anxiety about Al-Qaeda, equating U.S. armed forces to Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah. So she's like the enemy. You know what I'm saying? She is the enemy. And don't forget that. And so if I uh, was an advisor to U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert, I would say, whatever you do, don't apologize. Whatever you do, do not apologize for offending these people about what you said about this hideous woman no apology please do, do not do not ever apologize to the rage mob absolutely not you know dr mark young co-host of the blunt force truth podcast with uh, chuck woolery is out there on twitter yesterday saying, so Joe Biden, you were quick to call Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. Why no comment on the Waukesha massacre driver, the Black Lives Matter guy? Huh? Why no comment on that? I think we all know why, don't we? I think we all know why. You know, if you... you, are willing to concede that Biden and his handlers are trying to bring this country to its knees, then everything makes sense. Like this, Navy sailors forced to take out loans due to Biden pay delays as Democrats passed trillion-dollar bills for amnesty and Green New Deal. Hear about this? The Gateway Pundit, going over to military.com, which reports Navy sailors who earned increases in their housing allowances this year because they married or moved to a high-cost area are experiencing months-long delays to their pay boost, a situation that has forced some to take out loans to make ends meet. Navy Marine Corps Relief Society Vice President Gillian Gonzalez said her organization has seen an uptick in loan requests from sailors struggling to cover living expenses. In an interview with Military.com, Gonzalez said, this is happening a little bit of everywhere. It doesn't seem to hit one geographic area more than another. Gonzalez couldn't say exactly how many affected sailors have applied for loans because the society counts them with all who made requests for help covering basic needs, several sailors have taken to social media to describe delays and desperate efforts to obtain loans for living expenses. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think the brass doesn't care? <clears throat> Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark thoroughly Modern Milley, He's too busy trying to uh, cover for the regime. Talk about how he's got to learn more about white rage. So if you have kids of a certain age, they used to watch a, a nice little TV show called Blue's Clues. I remember my kids used to watch Blue's Clues back in the 90s. Well, Blue's Clues has decided, its target market is three to five-year-olds, and Blue's Clues has decided to try to indoctrinate three, four, and five-year-olds about homosexuality and transgenderism. So the show Blue's Clues has a pride parade now with a transgender beaver that has mastectomy scars. You can't make this garbage up. Even Snopes, which tends to downplay anything liberals do bad because they're liberals, even Snopes has confirmed this. It's evil. There's no other way around it. It's evil. Oh, by the way, um, Washington Post says car ramming incidents are increasingly common. Mentioned the Wau- Waukesha, Wisconsin parade. Car ramming incidents. The great James Lindsay over on. Twitter says they really tried this. They really tried this. Uh, it wasn't a car ramming incident. It was a, uh, a black guy who hated white people and wanted to kill as many as possible. He'd been talking about it on social media for years. Know what I'm saying? The Washington Post calls it a car-ramming incident. The Washington Post says the SUV did it. Now, when a guy named James Fields actually killed a woman, Charlottesville, Virginia, in the middle of a protest a few years ago, the Washington Post didn't have that kind of language. Again, Washington Post this week, Says, here's what we know so far on the sequence of events that led to the Waukesha tragedy caused by an SUV. Right? Tragedy wasn't caused by the Black Lives Matter terrorists who wanted to kill white people. It was caused by the SUV, according to the Washington Post. But in Charlottesville, they said, avowed neo-Nazi gets additional life prison term in Charlottesville car attack. Charlottesville, they said, Neo-Nazi sympathizer pleads guilty to federal hate crimes for plowing car into protesters at the Charlottesville rally. And then they also had another head headline, man accused of driving into the crowd at Charlottesville Unite the Right rally charged with federal hate crimes. See, Charlottesville is actually the fault of the guy who did it. If you squint real hard, you almost see a difference. Whereas in Waukesha, Wisconsin, it, the, the SUV did it. It's the SUV's fault. And let me just let me just let me just talk about this for a minute. The great Miranda Devine over in New York Post has an article here called "Liberal Media Ignores Waukesha Christmas Parade Horror." Indeed, they do. By liberal media, I would include Fox News Radio, which is full of libs. That this week has said, well, you know, they're investigating the possibility this guy might have just been trying to escape some kind of domestic violence situation and uh, just kind of snapped and made a mistake and ran over a bunch of people. Yeah, no. No, they're not. Miranda Devine, New York Post says, There's a reason the Waukesha massacre has faded from the national media. There's a reason MSNBC and CNN and CBS refer to it as merely a parade crash and quickly move on to other news. There's a reason, I'm not going to say the word president with with Dementia Joe. There's a reason usurper Biden and Kamala Harris have not prejudged the violent, racist, Black Lives Matter-supporting career criminal charged the murder for driving his SUV deliberately into Christmas Parade in the mostly white Wisconsin town of Waukesha, Wisconsin, last Sunday, killing six innocents, including an 8-year-old boy, and injuring 62 others. There's a reason the media are incurious about the hate-filled, anti-white social media posts of suspect Daryl Brooks Jr. Waukesha is of no interest to these people. not just because the story does not serve their political purposes, as the Kyle Rittenhouse case did when they wanted to paint Donald Trump as a white supremacist. No. They're burying the Waukesha story because it threatens the very core of the progressive revolution convulsing the country, which is criminal justice reform. Six people would still be alive today. If Milwaukee had not been hijacked by progressive prosecutors. A gushing Jeffrey Tubin article in the New Yorker magazine in 2015 called it the Milwaukee experiment, praising Milwaukee's Democrat DA, John Chisholm. Chisholm was elected back in 06. He's a leading light of the progressive prosecutor movement. His office let Daryl Brooks Jr. out on a $1,000 bond. November 16th, after he allegedly punched his girlfriend in the face and deliberately ran over her with the SUV he allegedly used in last Sunday's attack. Brooks' criminal record is over 50 pages long. But progressive D.A. Chisholm feigns dismay at the low bail now, but it was part of the plan. He knows what happens when you let violent, recidivist criminals out of jail. If you handicap police and strip them of their powers, if you break the advers- adversarial system, turn prosecutors and social workers and close prisons, everybody knows. Crime and violence skyrocket along with mental illness and homelessness. There's nothing compassionate or equitable about cr- progressive criminal justice reforms. They tyrannize the weakest and most vulnerable the elderly, the infirm, and women and children. Yep, Chisholm knew, and Chisholm didn't care. You know what he told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the big newspaper in Milwaukee in 07? Quote, Is there going to be an individual I divert or I put into a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? You bet. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed to happen. Unquote. Guaranteed. See, Chisholm was not elected running as a progressive or district attorney, but his priority immediately became eliminating racial disparity. He didn't care if more black people were committing crimes. It was all about the outcome. Today he boasts he has almost achieved his goal of eliminating racial disparity in jails. March 11th, he told a panel, "In in some areas there's almost no diversity. He said that when he appeared with the notorious San Francisco DA Chasa Bodine, talking about the progressive prosecutor movement. Chisholm boasted that he had revolutionized the role of prosecutor from being a line prosecutor who takes and reviews frozen moments in time and actually get the prosecutor out of the courthouse and right into the community and give them a broad mandate to help solve problems. He calls these quasi-social workers community prosecutors. Allowing prosecutors to do things besides just prosecuting cases is actually very empowering. We have to move away from what we all have been indoctrinated in, the adversarial system. The only obstacle, he says, he faces now is the fear of crime in the community, which drives state legislators to make bad law. With 191 homicides last year in Milwaukee alone, He says it's really hard to make an argument. He says, we're at a time in our nation when violence is simply overwhelming, the sense of our perspective of safety, people do not feel that they are safe. Miranda Devine, New York Post, says, I wonder why that is. Chase Boudin, prosecutor of San Francisco, told the panel that just being a progressive prosecutor wasn't enough anymore. He said, my friend, former Queens DA candidate, Tiffany Caban, said it best. It's not about being progressive or conservative. It's about being decarceral. You got that? Decarceral. That means abolishing prisons. Now, that's not what Americans want, but it's an article of faith for progressives. You just had to watch Representative Rashida Tlaib trying to justify her prison abolition bill in an interview This week with Jonathan Swan from Axios to see that the policy is so absurd, she has no way of justifying it. Although her bill explicitly would release everyone from jail, she simply denied that that would include child molesters and violent rapists who would roam the streets. Rashida to leave. Let's uh, let's check that out. Her little confab with uh, Jonathan Swab, Swan over at uh, Axios. Let's see. No, that's just her picture. Where's the, Come on, give me the video. Give me the video. Uh, we got a link to it here somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Is this it? Axios on HBO. Swan challenges to leave on emptying federal prisons. Watch on YouTube. Don't mind if I do. Don't mind if I do. So we get past the, uh, Oh no, there's no commercial to start. Let's check this out. Jonathan Swan presses Rashida Tlaib on her support for abolishing federal prisons, Axios on HBO. So it goes something like, Axios, if you're not familiar with that word, it's kind of like the the AP, the UPI or Reuters, except they call it Axios. Here it is. In
6: 2020, you endorsed uh, the BREATHE Act, which is a series of proposals to transform America's criminal justice system. Mm -hmm and create, quote, a roadmap for prison abolition. The BREATHE Act proposes emptying federal detention facilities within 10 years. To what extent have you wrestled with any potential downsides of releasing into society every single person who's currently in a federal prison? Yeah,
0: You got that? Every single person who's currently in a federal prison.
7: Again, I think that everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to just release everybody. That's not back that's to the that's yeah, is. but did you see how many people are mentally ill that are in prison right now?
6: No, I know but the act that you so endorse actually gonna, says release everyone. But in but ten, in 10
7: years. years, but think about it: who will release? But they were like
6: human traffickers. Oh, I know child sex. So, but I you're mean, saying, do you mean that you don't actually support that? Because no, you endorse the bill. no, I
7: endorse the BREATHE Act and looking at federal the policies and how we incarcerate. Absolutely, but it says in there but you cannot. You cannot. You cannot just blankly say, "Oh, look, she wants." That's not what I'm
6: But that's like in plain text.
7: But it? what I'm saying is, look at who's in prison now. No, look at the I folks understand. that are mentally ill, that I, have but, substance abuse but, problems. But I'm have- not
6: disagreeing with you that there are people who, who yeah, should then be But why in are prison? you
7: asking me about them? You're asking me about the cr- human no, traffickers and others that no, should st- I'm trying should to understand.
6: No, no, to no. What I'm trying to understand is your, your proposal is so sweeping.
0: She says, "Why are you asking me about the people who should stay in prison?" But he's pointing out that the bill she supports, her proposal, says let them out.
6: It does does release everyone. And what I'm trying to say to you is- Within 10 years, and obviously
7: there's a process of looking at how can we get away from mass incarceration and move towards care first. But what I'm
6: trying to understand, because it is such a sweeping concrete proposal, do you believe that there are still categories of people who who should be behind bars? There are
7: absolutely folks that I don't under, you know, I don't know, because right now the way the prison system is supposed to be like rehabilitated.
0: She's not answering the question. There are absolutely folks who I don't know the way, she's not going to finish the sentence, is she?
7: You know, it's supposed to be rehabilitation, right? Right. No, really, that's how they, they, yeah. I don't think there's any rehabilitation happening right now for those that might actually have, you know, and again, a majority, there's so many that have mental health issues, other struggling issues. Do you think
6: all people can be rehabilitated?
7: I don't think so. I've been very clear about that.
0: So let them go anyway. Let the murderers out anyway. Like the guy who mowed down all these people in Waukesha. Now, why is that? Well, again, we're talking about Representative Rashida Tlaib, Democrat of Michigan, who once said that when she thinks about the Holocaust, it is a calming idea to her. So she wants to see people killed, in my humble opinion. You're entitled to it. Yeah, it's a calming thing to her.
7: Um, and I only tell you that because, it, the, you know, as, as somebody that has worked in the legal field and others, um, I don't even know if our society would even know how to be able to rehabilitate every single person right. that, you know, wants to harm people, right? Or, But I can tell you that what's struggling for me is seeing that the statistics about so many people that uh, at a very young age that are in there that probably – would not have been in there, but for the fact that they they were struggling with mental illness or other issues within their family life that I think you know they would have been more rehabilitated if we came with care first with it rather than criminalization and that's
0: how long you let her uh filibuster here and ignore the point you're making, which is she wants murderers set free, so they can do it again
7: it's just true and and i it's not just me saying it, it is experts and others out there saying. This is actually, you know, not keeping us safe because folks are getting released and they didn't get the
0: but, care but they in, needed. But, view, but she wants that to happen more.
6: Vision. There is still um, whatever proportion they are, a small proportion who do need to be behind bars. Yeah.
7: Again, I would have to look at every case individually right. and figure that all out. I can't just say that. I mean,
6: but you do believe that I just want, still exist but I want the
7: form. American people to know. They need to know this. Everyone.
0: See, she's ignoring. What he said, you do still believe prison should exist in some form. She's like, no, I'm going to talk over you.
7: In jail is not the same. Because we always no, pick jail. the worst of the no, worst no, I agree cases. I agree. Yeah, but we pick up I the agree. worst of the worst cases, and we just blanketly I agree. Please, I mean, I think that's really dangerous because a lot of my returning residents are in black clubs doing amazing things, youth and mentoring right now.
0: Yeah, let's let some murderers out of prison so they can mentor youths. Yeah, that's great. She's not going to answer.
7: I have one that all he does is encourage young people not to enter into gangs um, and talking about like, this is what happened to me in my life. Uh, There are some that, you know, are going back to school and one just became a lawyer. I mean, you know, I I just think that, that to me is much more inspiring than locking everybody up.
0: Yeah. But she won't. Address the question Shouldn't some people stay in jail? Oh no, we want care first, not punishment. Oh really? Now, why did we get off on that tangent? Why did we get off on that tangent? because we were talking about the great Miranda Devine's article, Liberal Media Ignores Waukesha Christmas Parade Horror, over the New York Post. And she referred to Rashida Tlaib. She referred to, Proceeded to leave trying to justify her bill that would abolish prisons. In an interview earlier this week with Jonathan Swan from Axios, all you have to do is watch that to see the policy is so absurd, she had no way of justifying it. Although her bill explicitly would release. Everyone from jail, she simply denied that that means child molesters and violent rapists would roam the streets, even though they would. Progressives pretend, well, see, Rashida Tlaib's a Muslim, and the Quran says it's okay for them to lie to us kafir, to us infidels anyway, so she has no problem with that. But there are plenty of progressives that are not Muslims And as Miranda Devine says here, progressives pretend that everyone in jail is just there for smoking weed while showing callous disregard for the victims of crime. Amen. Well, earlier in the article, a quote from 2007 from this prosecutor, this DA in Milwaukee saying, so some of these people we let go, are they going to wind up killing people? Absolutely, they sure are. He doesn't care. Miranda Devine, New York Post, says, in case you're under any illusion that this all is not an ideological strategy to destroy law and order, take a look at the revolutionary pedigree of Chesa Boudin, the district attorney in San Francisco. He's the son of Kathy Boudin and David Gilbert, Marxist terrorist members of the Weather Underground who were jailed for the murders of two police officers and a security guard during the Brinks robbery of 1981 in Rockland County. Budin was 14 months old at the time and was brought up by Barack Obama's radical mentor and Weather Underground luminary, Bill Ayers. Last year, Budin successfully lobbied then-New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to commute his father's 75-years-to-life Sentence And Gilbert was released this month. His mother was released in 03 and immediately given an honored position as an adjunct professor at Columbia University where she works on, you guessed it, dismantling what they call mass incarceration and transforming the criminal justice system. These people are embedded in the establishment, even though they murdered two police officers and a security guard 40 years ago. Guess what else? domestic terrorists affiliated with the Weather Underground did on November 7th, 1983. They bombed the United States Capitol in Washington, D.C., blowing a hole in a wall and pulverizing windows, chandeliers, and furniture. Yet, usurper Biden tells us the worst attack on democracy was the Capitol riot on January 6th this year. One of the convicted conspirators for the 1983 Capitol bombing, Susan Rosenberg, had her 58-year sentence commuted by Bill Clinton in 01. So what did she do then? She was instrumental in founding and fundraising for Black Lives Matter, a self-declared Marxist organization that advocates for the abolition of the nuclear family. So we come full circle. Progressive criminal justice reforms are not about equal justice. When it comes to Trump supporters such as Kyle Rittenhouse or the January 6th defendants still in pretrial detention in a D.C. jail, progressives are viciously punitive. They are weaponizing the criminal justice system to terrorize their ideological opponents and create mayhem. This is a revolution, and we will all be its victims unless we wake up. So thank you, Miranda Devine, New York Post. That's true. We all need to wake up. Now, I'll say this. We are thankful. We are grateful for this platform to speak to you. And we know that over 70% of the people who download this podcast on a daily basis are from outside Arkansas. Arkansas, of course, was kind of our, our base where we got started. Um. However, comma, something like twenty-eight percent of the people who download the podcast every day are in Arkansas. So that's still our number one number one state. And I'll just tell you something. Little Rock, Arkansas is a pretty good prosecutor, prosecuting attorney Larry Chengley. And he's retiring next year. So our listeners in uh, Little Rock, Pulaski, and Perry County, they better hope he's not replaced by one of these George Soros prosecutors who looks the other way at violent crime. Oh, it's an elected position. But I'm just saying, Soros has a way of funding these people. You don't want to live in a city that does not vigorously prosecute violent criminals, okay? I mean, it's my duty to try to warn you when I see things coming down the uh, coming down the line. All right. So anyway, you you. Those of you who live in Little Rock, Arkansas, or Pulaski County, the county Little Rock is in, you you don't want your community turned into a St. Louis, a Chicago, a Philadelphia, where sometimes murders aren't even prosecuted. You don't want to see that. All right? I'm just saying. Word to the wise. Word to the wise. The great Kyle Becker of BeckerNews.com says Australia has sealed the deal for all time that no people who want to remain free should give up their guns to the government for any reason ever. And that's true, brother. That is so, ho, ho, true. Now, speaking of tweets. Speaking of tweets, every day, every day, we do a little something. Um, Let's see, how can we... uh, We
2: interrupt this program to bring
0: you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. All right. Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day brought to you by Red River Your Way, the nationwide car dealership that believes in freedom your freedom to buy that car truck van suv however you want buy it online they'll drive it to you tweet of the day brought to you by red river and the tweet of the, uh, the tweet of the day is from black lives matter which says you are eating dry turkey and overcooked stuffing on stolen land that's right They say colonization never ended, it just became normalized. Find out which ancestral homeland you're currently occupying here. So you're eating dry turkey and overcooked stuffing on stolen land. Well, there are a lot of responses to this. One from a buddy of mine, Valachian Rex, who says, happy to announce I just bought my first house that sits on a piece of the stolen land you're mentioning, and I believe this is why this Thanksgiving the turkey I ate, tasted better than ever. Kyle Rittenhouse being found not guilty may have played a part too. So that was pretty good. I like the cut of your jib, young man. Yeah. Another buddy of mine, uh, the Dank Knight, says, actually, I'm eating stolen turkey on dry land. It was delicious. If that makes you feel any better. All right? Uh, Mike Davis, who used to work for um, a senator from um, Iowa. The old guy's 86, Judiciary Committee. Why can't I think of his name? I can see his face. Anyway, Mike Davis says, last Sunday, one of your followers massacred six people, including an eight-year-old kid, and seriously injured many more, but you're complaining about land conquered 400 years ago? Really? Uh, Chuck Grassley, that's who we worked for. You're eating dry turkey and overcooked stuffing on stolen land, my elbow. Uh, Justin Case says, Black Lives Matter is the enforcement arm of the globalist American empire. He says, they damn sure are not helping anyone but powerful elites. I bet you can't name one black family that Black Lives Matter has actually helped. You know... You got something there. Right, you are. Valjean Val says, this tweet by Black Lives Matter was sent by someone living on stolen land. Oh, I like this one. Uh, John Hawkins. The guy who wrote the book, 101 Things All Young Adults Should Know. John Hawkins says, almost every square inch of the earth Has been violently taken from some group who took it from some other group who took it from some other group and on and on. Welcome to History 101. How about that? Sandy Lee Vincent says the indigenous people were on stolen land. Uh oh. They don't want to hear that, but she brings the receipts. The Sauk Indians may have had their original territory along the St. Lawrence River. They were driven by pressure from other tribes, especially the Iroquois, to migrate to Michigan where they settled around Saginaw Bay. Anishinaabe expansion and the Huron attempt to gain regional stability drove the Sauk out of their territory. The Huron were armed with French weapons. The Sauk moved to a new territory in parts of what are now northern Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. The Fox tribe was intimately related to the Sauk tribe, and the two were probably branches of one original stem. It's probable that the early migrations of the former correspond somewhat closely with, the, with those of the latter. One of their important villages was for some time on Fox River. The conclusion on Warren, history of the Ojibways, 1885, that the Foxes earlier occupied the country along the south shore of Lake Superior and that the incoming Chippewa drove them out as a general support of fox tradition. So you get the Ojibwe, the Sioux, the Sauk, the fox wars. When the reindeer clan of the Ojibwe first settled at La Pointe in Chiquamagon Bay, it wasn't long before they found themselves warring with the Sioux and the Sauk and fox tribes as well, who considered them intruders into their domain, south and west of Lake Superior. The main village of the Sioux was located in the Mill Lacks area. So, yeah, maybe the uh, indigenous people themselves were on the soul land. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <clears throat> what about Patrice Cullors, the founder, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, who has spent over $3 million on five different homes, one of which is a $1.4 million home at Topanga Canyon in L.A., she bought with cash. So somebody said, uh tell Patrice Cullors to give up that stolen house and land she took from those donations. Oh uh, strong. That's strong, bro. I ain't gonna lie, fam. That's strong. Thehill dot A reliably liberal oh, whoa, whoa, before I do that. Thank you again to RedRiverYourWay.com for sponsoring today's tweet of the day, the odious and ridiculous uh, Black Lives Matter tweet saying you're eating dry turkey and overcooked stuffing on stolen land. Look, just because they're projecting their lack of culinary excellence onto the rest of us doesn't mean that the rest of us ate dry turkey. All right? Anyway, let me get back to this. Um, Thehill.com. Where were we with thehill.com? I I know I had it here moments ago. Majority of Thanksgiving hosts not requiring COVID-19 vaccine or masks to join in the Thanksgiving celebration. And this is so funny. The wonderful Scott's Fire on Twitter said, things that surprise no one outside D.C. and New York City. They don't have any idea how the rest of the country is requiring a vaccine or masks to come to Thanksgiving dinner. Come on, man. Come on, man. ABC News reporting a new coronavirus variant has been detected in South Africa. The scientists say is." A concern because of its high number of mutations and rapid spread among young people. The great Jesse Kelly, talk show host out of Houston, says, Oh man, that's quite a discovery. A new variant that's dangerous to kids and has discovered just is there about to make a major push to vaccinate children? Okay, wait a minute. Hold everything. Wait a minute. The timing. The timing is impeccable, isn't it? You know, there are a lot of tweets out there that could have been tweeted of the day today. One is this guy, Seth Rogen. Who is he? Apparently he was in some big movies. Apparently he's, like, uh, famous, but I don't know who he is. Seth Rogen. Let me... uh, Let me try to act like I know what's going on here with this guy. Seth Rogen, Canadian actor, comedian, writer, and filmmaker. Sometimes Wikipedia will be nice to you, and they'll say he's best known for... uh, Moved to L.A. for a part in Judd Apatow's Freaks and Geeks, then got a part on the sitcom Undeclared, which also hired him as a writer. Landed his job as a staff writer in the final season of The Ali G Show. That was a guy that did uh, Borat. Uh, Judd Abateau guided Seth Rogen toward a film career. As a staff writer, he was nominated for a primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing of a Variety Series. So what movies did he do? Uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. I just... And I don't have time. You either know who he is or you don't know who he is. So this other guy, Casey Neistat, who is also apparently famous because he has millions of of uh, followers out there on the uh, on the Twitter, he was upset. He was upset. He says, so our cars got robbed this morning because L.A. is a crime-riddled third world blank hole of a city but tremendous appreciation and gratitude to the hard working officers at the LA PD West who not only arrested the blank 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 but they got all of our stolen goods back seth rogan jumps in and says dude i've lived here for, here for over 20 years you're nuts haha ha. it's lovely here don't leave anything valuable in it It's called living in a big city. In other words, get used to it. They're going to break into your car on a regular basis. Casey Neistat says, I can still be mad, though, right? I feel so violated. Seth Rogen says, you can be mad, but I guess I don't personally view my car as an extension of myself. And I've never really felt violated any of the 15 or so times my car was broken into. Once a guy accidentally left a cool knife in my car, So if it keeps happening, you might get a little treat. So there are a lot of responses. A lot of responses. Joel M. Petlin, superintendent of the Curious Joel School District, says, defending the quality of life in your city by referencing the 15 times your car was broken into And the possibility that you may get a free weapon left by a criminal is not the defense you think it is. Nobody should accept lawlessness, not celebrities like Seth Rogen or anyone, really. I mean, a lot of people are jumping in. Another one says, Say you're so wealthy you're completely disconnected from common people without telling me you're wealth, so wealthy you're completely disconnected from common people. Another one says, Hollywood Democrat to your average working American says, so some meth head just smashed up something you spent five years struggling to pay for. So what? Just get another one. Can't you just get it fixed 15 times? Why don't you just hire a driver? Another one, the great Amy Curtis over on Twitter says, I very rarely talk about privilege, but this Seth Rogen's comment about just get used to your car being broken into 15 times. This is the epitome of privilege. Imagine being so wealthy. You can afford to repair your car every time it's broken into. She says lots of people, myself included, couldn't financially come back from one break-in. The mentality of it the mentality of if somebody breaks into your house or your car or steals something from your business, they need it more than you do, needs to be debunked. Sometimes people steal it just because they're blankety-blank-blank-blank-blanks. And sometimes people are just evil and rotten to, the core, rotten to the core. She says, in 2008, my car, a crappy Saturn hatchback, was stolen and my apartment broken into. She said, I never, ever felt safe again, even though I got the car back. It's a terrible violation. It's not just things. It's your home where you should feel safe and secure. Yeah, exactly. Seth Rogen gets none of that. None of that. Just so you know. Just so you know. Oh, I got to throw this in. Uh, Rising Serpent, I don't know what his real name is, over on Twitter, says that our response to a disease that kills fewer than 0.02% is to enforce mandates making the 99.98% physically, mentally, and financially worse than they've ever been, while blaming it all on those who refuse is pure crystalline evil. In the war, in this war, your soul is the ultimate prize. That's true. It is evil. It is evil. The vaccine mandate is evil. And that's why I refuse to go along with it, and that's why the evil CEO and board of directors and HR director at Cumulus fired me. It is evil. Oh, what's this? CNN reporting gun sales rise among black people as they look for firearm training and education. See, now, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, but as the great Ian Miles Chong says, it must be so awkward for liberals. Oh, well. Oh, well. Did you hear about the Thanksgiving guidelines from the California Department of Public Health as their governor was down vacationing in Cabo? We have a lot of uh, listeners in in California. Thanksgiving guidelines, California Department of Public Health: no more than three households present, parties no longer than two hours, guests must stay outside, avoid singing, chanting, and shouting. I wonder how many people just told them to take a hike. Take a hike. FBI Chicago. Oh, they deleted it? They deleted it? FBI Chicago had a tweet out yesterday. They were looking for some guy who didn't didn't ever go inside the U.S. Capitol, just standing outside laughing and taking selfies. And the great Banshee at Red State said, FBI seeks dude who laughed outside the Capitol while they can't come up with a motive for why a guy ran his SUV through a crowd of children. Waukesha, Wisconsin less than a week ago. Well, that's not all they can't come up with a motive for. They're not ever going to tell us why the guy in Vegas shot all those people, are they? Mm -mm. They're not ever going to tell us about that. If you think they don't know, come on, man. Come on. Let's see. What's the difference between Trump and Biden? November 28th, 2019, Trump makes a surprise visit to Afghanistan to see U.S. troops on Thanksgiving. November 24th, this year, Biden spending Thanksgiving at private equity billionaires Nantucket home. Oh, okay. I see. Oh, by the way, Remember Brian Adams? Fully vaccinated rocker. That's the one you want to call him, Brian Adams, test positive for COVID for the second time in a month. Bet that cuts like a knife. Thank you, Susan St. James. New York Conservative over well, there on Twitter. I steal from the best, but I try to give you credit for it. Yeah? I guess uh COVID looked at uh Brian Adams, China virus, the woofaloo, Brian Adams said, I'm going to come straight on for you. Oh, that was heart. Why does Brian Adams remind me of heart? No, don't, don't, don't dwell on that. Don't dwell on that. So I'm old enough to remember a United States representative, a guy named French Hill represents central Arkansas, going on the morning show at the radio station I used to work at, and assuring the morning show host that the Afghan refugees who came to the United States would be fully vetted. Well, that's not true. Washington Examiner has this. Tens of thousands entered U.S. unvetted after Kabul airlift officials say a memo. Yeah. Almost none of the 82,000 people airlifted from Kabul in August, were vetted before being admitted to the United States. Despite claims to the contrary from the Biden administration, according to a congressional memo summarizing interviews with of federal officials who oversaw the effort at domestic and international military bases. Now, why would why would Rhino U.S. Representative French Hill be carrying water for the Biden administration? You know, Biden, the same guy who stole the election from Trump and US representative rhino french hill said it was a fallacy it was a pipe dream it was uh, that uh, that the election had been stolen from trump oh did i mention he's got a uh, he's got a primary challenger next year now if you're in illinois texas california new york colorado some of the other big states that download the podcast a lot, um, you may be thinking, well, why would we be interested in this? Well, I'll tell you. We want as many rhinos out as possible, right? We want them successfully primaried. The same, look, the same reason you're interested in Liz Cheney getting her due at the ballot box in the Republican primary in Wyoming next spring, right? That's why you would be interested. Because this guy, French Hill, that you may have never heard of before, who represents the 2nd District of Arkansas, Central Arkansas, in the U.S. House of Representatives, not only did he say that Trump was lying about the election being stolen, stolen. not only did he say that Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th at the Capitol was unforgivable, but he also, also was proud to have voted to keep Liz Cheney in Republican House leadership, said she was an outstanding conservative after she voted to impeach Trump. So, who is the guy running against uh, French Hill in the Republican primary May 24th in Arkansas? Retired Colonel Conrad Reynolds. Conrad Reynolds, U.S. Army retired combat veteran, awarded Defense Superior Service Medal, the Bronze Star, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But check him out. Website is electconrad.com, all right? Electconrad.com. French Hill is the incumbent rhino who said all these Afghan refugees coming in to America are going to be vetted. None of that's true. Hardly anybody was vetted. The people got on those planes were the people that the Taliban led into that airport. There are plenty of people who are allies who they've killed. Conrad Reynolds is the actual conservative challenging him next May, May 24th, Republican primary in Arkansas. So uh, you might want to go to electconrad.com and chip in a couple of bucks. got Get rid of the rhinos we got to get rid of the rhinos. Now, let me ask you about this. If you don't realize by now that January 6th at the Capitol was a setup by the feds, then you need to read the columns by the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness. Seriously. Seriously, you really do. Because it was quite the setup. Tom Fitton at Judicial Watch realizes it was quite the setup. And... Judicial Watch is suing Congress for the videos of January 6th. Congress told the court 14,000 hours of videos are not public records and are not important enough to release to the public. Pelosi is the enemy of transparency. Here is Tom Fitton, and then we'll give you Julie Kelly's latest.
8: We sued the uh, Congress for the videos. They're telling the court uh, in our case against them for the videos. 14,000 hours of videos from that day. Not one second. Of the January 6th videos that Congress has can be released to Judicial Watch under the open records law. In fact, they're saying they're not even public records. And if they were, they're not important enough to release. The public interest doesn't outweigh their interest in confidentiality. Well, which is it? The worst day in American history that the public has an interest in figuring out how it happened? Or some just regular congressional day that doesn't require them to start releasing videos of what went on? You know where we stand on it, but Pelosi is the enemy, as I said before, of transparency.
0: Okay, she is the in- enemy of transparency. No question about it. No question about it. One more from Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch.
8: Despite everyone supposedly being interested in January 6, Judicial Watch is actually conducting an independent, thorough investigation of what went on. How did it happen, and what about the people who died?
0: yeah not just Ashley Babbitt, but also Roseanne Boyland. Not just Ashley Babbitt, but also Roseanne Boyland. All right, let's see um, let's see the latest from Julie Kelly. This came out yesterday, which I don't know how she did it because uh, she also was on Twitter. Uh, with uh, wonderful, delicious-looking pictures of the Thanksgiving feast she prepared for her family. She's an amazing, amazing woman. Uh, Newsletter peddlers offended by real journalism quit. She says an 82-second movie trailer was supposedly all it took for two of the most perpetually outraged and chronically wrong political pundits to quit their gigs at Fox News. That um, that should not be remarkable. New York Times media columnist Ben Smith revealed in an unnecessarily lengthy article November 21st to explain why the pair resigned before they were let go by the network. Said the trailer for Tucker Carlson's special about the January 6th mob at the Capitol landed online October 27th, and that night Jonah Goldberg sent a text to his business partner Stephen Hayes saying, I'm tempted just to quit Fox over this. mister Hayes replied, I'm game, totally outrageous, it will lead to violence. Not sure how we can stay. Tucker Carlson's documentary, Patriot Purge, aired in three separate segments on the network streaming service, Fox Nation, a few days later. It's unclear whether Goldberg or Hayes watched the film in its entirety, but additional commentary given to Ben Smith and New York Times over Zoom while Uh, clad in athleisure, a word intended to lend muscularity to two of the laziest commentators in the business, suggests that neither one of them actually watched the special. Their beef with Tucker Carlson, aside from obvious jealousy over success and influence, is with the notion that there is a domestic war on terror. Stephen Hayes told the New York Times it's not true the Biden regime is launching a domestic war on terror and it's coming for half the country. In a follow-up post published on The Dispatch, the $6 million blog Hayes and Goldberg founded in 2019, the indolent duo continued to attack Tucker Carlson for suggesting a domestic war on terror is underway. They said, this is not happening. And we think it's dangerous to pretend it is. If a person with such a platform shares such misinformation loud enough and long enough, there are Americans who will believe and act upon it. Now, set aside the irony that the former editor-in-chief of the first war on terror's biggest propaganda organ, the now shuttered Weekly Standard, which Stephen Hayes, consumed by content for Donald Trump and his supporters, ran into the ground in 2018, is now dismissing evidence of a domestic war on terror, Hayes and Goldberg, fulfilling their role as useful idiots for the left, are wrong once again. In fact... Their quibble shouldn't be with Tucker Carlson, but with Joe Biden and his apparatchiks and the federal government and in Congress because they are boasting about using the pretext of January 6th to launch a domestic war on terror aimed at the political right on his first day in office. Joe Biden directed his national security team to conduct an evaluation on how to, quote, address domestic terrorism, which has evolved into the most urgent terrorism terrorism threat United States faces today, unquote. In June, Attorney General Merrick Garland released a 32-page report outlining how the federal government can tackle the imaginary threat of domestic terrorists. code for Americans on the right. The report gives intelligence, national security, and law enforcement agencies the green light to use any and all authority in their powerful arsenal to track suspected domestic terrorists. Part of the plan recommends a screening process allowing supervisors to fire suspected domestic terrorists who are, quote, employed within our military law enforcement ranks, unquote. Private sector partners of the U.S. government will be trained to prevent individuals who, quote, pose domestic terrorism threats from being placed in positions of trust, unquote. Now, the document does not define exactly what qualifies a citizen as a domestic terrorist, nor does it need to do so. Domestic terrorist is in the eye of the beholder, and right now that all-seeing eye is in the hands of a dangerous, reckless, and vengeful regime targeting capital trespassers and protesting parents with impunity. If Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg scoff at the notion of a domestic war on terror, perhaps they should confront FBI Director Christopher Wray to argue that January 6th should not have been designated as an act of domestic terror, as Christopher Wray did during his March 2nd congressional testimony. They should publicly object to Christopher Wray's use of geofence warrants, FBI informants, and undercover agents, and subpoenas issued to big tech companies to collect private information from users' social media accounts for evidence in government charging and sentencing documents. They should object also to Merrick Garland's office, referring to nonviolent capital protesters as domestic terrorists and asking federal judges to impose harsh prison sentences in order to deter future domestic terrorists and adding terrorism enhancements to sentencing guidelines. Stephen Hayes and, Gold- sh- and ste- pardon me, take two. Yeah, we do it live. Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg might also want a word with Director of National Intelligence Avril Haynes the Biden appointee managing 17 intelligence agencies purportedly responsible for tracking foreign terror threats, who published a flimsy bulletin earlier this year warning that Americans with political wrongthink pose a heightened threat to the homeland. This includes people who believe, quote, narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, conditions related to the COVID-19 pandemic, and conspiracy theories, unquote. That's what She wrote. Anyone who buys into perceived government overreach also might be motivated to commit violence, according to Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines. The vagueness—that vagueness acts as Avril Haines' official imprimatur to permit every agency under her control, to deploy intelligence tools against Americans clearly aligned with the political right. Now, maybe Hayes and Goldberg honestly believe that Averill Haynes' description does not apply to half the country. Therefore, they should quantify in a future blog post what percentage of the country disputes the outcome of the 2020 election, lockdown, vaccine and mask mandates, and other random so-called conspiracy theories. I'm sure their keen, precise minds will produce a more accurate figure. I roll, people. Time for an eye roll. Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg are outraged at imaginary, pardon me, they're outraged at imagery in Tucker Carlson's documentary that shows someone being waterboarded in Tucker Carlson's references to a Guantanamo Bay for American citizens. No wonder they seem confused. A quick Internet search for any column authored by either of these guys. Stephen Hayes or Jonah Goldberg, related to the D.C. jail, specifically used to incarcerate January 6th defendants under pretrial orders demanded by Biden's Justice Department came up empty, empty. So, too, did any condemnation of the documented harsh conditions of the jail, which includes reports of abuse by prison guards, extended periods of solitary confinement, lack of access to defense attorneys, humiliating strip searches, and such poor medical condition such poor medical treatment that a federal judge recently released a stage three cancer patient after a prison officials refused to give him the necessary care to treat his disease. He also had a broken hand. They wouldn't let him get treatment for that either. Keep in mind the January 6th defendants now behind bars have been denied release, not because they pose a legitimate threat to the community, but because they protested the incoming Biden regime and doubt the outcome of the 2020 election. This is all evidence in charging documents, court hearings, and FBI interviews, none of which of course, either Stephen Hayes or Jonah Goldberg has deigned to cover. Hayes and Goldberg might technically be correct that no one yet has been waterboarded. But surely the nearly 700 January 6th defendants will be eager to share their accounts of enduring pre-dawn armed FBI raids where agents terrorized families and neighborhoods in a deliberate show of force, handcuffed And physically dragged suspects, including at least one disabled veteran, often refused to present warrants At homes were ransacked, as homes were ransacked, that is, interrogated citizens about their political beliefs and seized electronic devices, including those belonging to their children. Numerous January 6th defendants, even those accused of no violent crimes, can tell Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg about their inclusion on restrictive TSA lists that result in hours-long delays at airports, invasive pat-downs, and nonstop following by TSA agents in a very public attempt to further humiliate them. And as someone who has covered this abusive prosecution-associated issues, I could go on and on, but Stephen Hayes and Jonah Goldberg, despite their promise to provide fact-based reporting and commentary informed by conservative principles, are not interested in the truth. Interesting to note, the dispatch also is a paid Facebook fact-checker, a tidbit most outlets ignored. They are invertebrate frauds. Invertebrate frauds. Now, for those of you in Dumas, Arkansas, that means uh, they have no backbone. They're frauds with no backbone. They're invertebrate frauds who got ahead of their imminent firings by swindling an all-too-eager corporate media system and to believing that they, not Tucker Carlson, hold the high moral ground and fealty to facts, Hayes and Goldberg now end of their careers as the foxes, washed-up has-beens, slinking off into a political Siberia, where their only future relevance will be to serve as a cautionary tale on how to squander what little talent or connections one ever had to make to take a parting shot at a far more influential rival, while giving cover to an abusive regime hell-bent on destroying the audience that helped elevate them to fame. Good riddance, by the way, good riddance. That is Julie Kelly. The article, American Greatness, is newsletter peddlers offended by real journalists, by real journalism, quit. All right, now. There's something else I need to share with you. John Solomon over at justthenews.com. Wonderful website, com. Sophie Mann, one of his reporters. This holiday season, the Salvation Army wants a donation and a sincere apology for white racism. What? What? So the Salvation Army has gone woke. Will they go broke? As Americans head out on Black Friday to make a dent in their holiday shopping list, some are sure to come across Salvation Army volunteers ringing bells as part of the annual Red Kettle campaign. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, I just noticed we're two hours into this thing. And Podbean regularly cuts us off at about um, two hours and five minutes, two hours and six minutes. They said something about if we want to go longer, we have to get more people who are listening live to, uh, to say they like the, 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 the podcast or something. I don't know how it works. I, I, I'm, I'm technologically challenged. I can't call it. But anyway, if you're listening live and uh, all of a sudden we get cut off in a few minutes, be sure to download the podcast and hear the rest of it. Okay? So, sorry for the inconvenience. I don't know what to tell you what to do on the Podbean app to make it go last longer. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, is it clicking live or something else? I don't know what it is. We'll try to figure it out. Anyway, as Americans head out on Black Friday to make a dent in their holiday shopping lists, some are sure to come across Salvation Army volunteers ringing bells as part of the annual Red Kettle campaign. But this year, the global charitable organization wants more from its donors than a donation to the needy during the holidays. With the dissemination of a recent Salvation Army guide entitled Let's Talk About Racism, The Christian organization is attempting to elicit sincere apologies from white people for being racist. The guide, which was compiled and approved earlier this year by the International Social Justice Commission of the Salvation Army, aligns the organization with the ideology of the Black Lives Matter, anti-racism, and critical race theory movements. Defining structural racism as the overarching system of racial biasing across institutions and society. The Salvation Army Guide declares these systems give privileges to white people, resulting in disadvantages to people of color. What was once an organization with a straightforward charitable goal, for which it has received millions in U.S. government funding, appears to have become a proponent of controversial ideas, including those found in the books of Dr. Ibrahim Kendi, whose given name, by the way, is Henry Rogers. And Robin D'Angelo, the white racist, who wrote the book uh, White Fragility, both of whom are listed in the Salvation Army Guide under the Resources, Tools, and Contributors section. Also featured in that section of the guide is the New York Times 1619 podcast, which has become the basis of some high school and collegiate instruction on critical race theory, and also is a pack of lies. Between 2014 and 2021, the Salvation Army received in the ballpark of $10 million from CPOSA, a federal agency that supervises adults on probation, parole, and supervised release in the District of Columbia. The federal agency's mission is to support the fair administration of justice in close collaboration with the community. Over the course of the pandemic, Salvation Army received another $100,000 or so in emergency funding from the Department of Veteran Affairs for homeless shelter operations. The guide for the Salvation Army outlines various types of discussions chapter leaders can have about racism and how to operate in an actively anti-racist fashion. According to the nearly 50-page document, being anti-racist results from a conscious decision to make frequent, consistent, equitable choices daily. These choices ongoing These choices require ongoing self-awareness and self-reflection as we move through life. In the absence of making anti-racist choices, we unconsciously uphold aspects of white supremacy, white dominant culture, and unequal institutions in society. Being racist or anti-racist is not about who you are, it's about what you do. So they've totally drank the Kool-Aid here, right? Salvation Army's accompanying study guide on racism claims The subtle nature of racism is such that people who are not consciously racist easily function with the privileges, empowerment, and benefits of the dominant ethnicity, thus unintentionally perpetuating injustice. The guy goes on to enumerate the ways in which America remains an unjust society, home ownership, health, education, and incarceration are some of the leading indicators of inequality due to systemic and institutional racism in American life, according to the Salvation Army's guide. Because of these ongoing struggles for communities of color, and specifically black folks, the guide suggests the necessity of delivering a sincere apology if you happen to be white. Salvation Army guide reads, and I quote, we are all hardwired to desire justice and fairness, so the need to receive a sincere apology is necessary. Perhaps you don't feel as if you personally have done anything wrong, but you can spend time repenting on behalf of the church asking for God to open hearts and minds to the issue of racism. Unquote. Now, Christopher Rufo, director of the Initiative on Critical Race Theory at the Manhattan Institute, and the guy who pretty much is single-handedly publicized this awful thing, is being forced upon us. He says critical race theory has increasingly become the default ideology in our public institutions over the past decade. It has been injected into government agencies, public school systems, teacher training programs, and corporate human resources departments in the form of diversity training programs, human resource models, pardon me, human resources modules, public policy frameworks, and school curricula. As of this holiday season, has now been injected into a long, uncontroversial, 156-year-old Christian charity devoted to bringing relief to the poor and salvation to the hopeless. Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? They're not getting any more of my money. No, I'll be happy to tell them why if they're out there ringing the bell. Because they're promoting racism now. Yes, promoting racism, not... Uh, not doing anything to try to clean it up. It's jacked up, man. It's jacked up. It's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's no excuse for it. There's absolutely no excuse for it. Okay, so, um, late night last night, Late night last night. So I I think I'm going to have to uh, wind it up at this point. I was it Uh, Wednesday. I think I did my longest show ever, two hours and 45 minutes, because um, I just figured, well, I'm not going to be on Thanksgiving Day. Let's give folks a little bit extra. But um, had family over last night and uh, running on fumes here. Very little sleep last night. So I appreciate so much you guys getting the word out about us. Uh, We do have a video a YouTube video. If you go to Doc Washburn show uh, YouTube page, I would love it if you watch this little 37-second video that um, publicizes the show. And if you could share it on social media, that would be wonderful also. Really appreciate that. All right, you've been listening to the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible. Directed by Mick Messi, this has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Friday, November 26, 2021.